Today's episode highlights include German healthcare system, Germany, small country with lots of different culture and language variation, tips on how best to connect with a researcher in Germany, interdisciplinary research at the Helmholtz Center and Max Planck Institute in Munich, and travel highlights in Germany's north, south, east, and west. And we have a bonus today. Renu talks about her TEDx Berlin talk, Strike a Pose. My name is Hani Geist. Welcome to Coffee Connections. Today's Coffee Connection is Renu Singh, PhD student in government politics at Georgetown University. And she's also a DAD research ambassador since 2019. Have a listen. My name is Renu Singh, and I'm a PhD candidate at Georgetown in their Department of Government. It's probably not a question you'd like to hear. How far along are you? When are you oh. about to graduate? <laughs> Actually, you caught me on a really good week. So <laughs> okay. I know what I'm doing next and I know I'm finishing in May. So, yeah. So I'm actually happy to say that I am finishing my PhD this spring and I've been doing it for six years, which is pretty standard for comparativists. And I'm happy that I took that time because it gave me time in the field in Germany. But I'm also happy that it's going to be done. You yeah. mentioned Germany, so why don't you tell me a little bit more about your experience? I guess the first time I went to Germany was, it's crazy to think, but it was 10 years ago when I first moved there. I was at the time, so now I'm a political scientist pretty much fully, but at the time I was a natural scientist. So I was a microbiologist. I did do policy work, but I was in undergrad and I was looking for, you know, basically my first job. And my first job ended up being in Germany. I worked for the Helmholtz Zentrum in Munich and I was an environmental epidemiologist. So I was researching with their unit. And what drew me to Germany, actually, because I didn't focus on Germany itself before that. I was I focused on European politics a bit and I, I was looking at healthcare systems and I was interested in um, aside from my microbiology work, I was interested in, in variations in different healthcare systems. And so Germany was one of the cases that I was very interested in, but it became kind of a, the main case over time. And I was just drawn to it really for that reason. It's very different than the U.S., I lived abroad in the U.K. for a little bit. And I think of the U.S. and the U.K. as kind of two sides of a spectrum for healthcare systems. And Germany kind of is an interesting mix of both and had elements of both systems that I was really interested in. So it was a very It was a very like scientific reason to go. I was like, this is a case that has something that's that I could learn from and that I think the U.S. could learn from being an American wanting to kind of, uh, you know, improve our healthcare system. So I ended up working as an epidemiologist, but also working at the Max Planck Institute for Social Policy on this health systems difference. There was a person in one of the kind of exchange offices who focused on the DAAD, and she is someone I really have to thank because she was like, well, why don't you come to Germany? Because I was interested in federal countries and healthcare systems. You know, the UK isn't a federal country, but it was in contrast to the US. I thought it was interesting. But I was also interested in France and Scandinavian countries and Switzerland. So Germany was one of many that I was interested in. And she encouraged me to look into Germany more. And I found a bunch of researchers in Munich that We're just uniquely interested in this as well. And so that became the reason why. So I've heard a thing at UMass. I went to UMass Amherst for undergrad. And then I have an alum of the DAD program who is a graduate student who is doing her PhD at UMass. Somehow I, I came to meet her and she walked me through the process of how she applied and, and really was the resource that I needed and really appreciated having to apply and then luckily get to go to Germany. So that's how I... I ended up getting there in the first place. And then over time, I just became the German politics person. You said you didn't have Germany on your radar initially, but then you moved to Germany for work. Did you speak any German? 
I did not speak German before. I My foreign language growing up was French. It was brand new to me. I mean, when I applied, I decided, you know what, instead of taking French in college, maybe I should just take an intro German class. So I did switch my senior year into an intro German class just in case I, you know, did get the fellowship and was in Germany. I thought I should know some of the language. And so that was my first exposure But when I got into the DAAD, it was really great that they had language training. So I started off in Freiburg and had about two months of training. I mean, as a scientist, because I also was working at the Helmholtz Zentrum as a scientist, their official language is English. So everyone spoke English and I didn't need it for my research. But I mean, you know, living in Germany, obviously, it's nice and sometimes really helpful to have the language. And also, I, I really did love languages. So for me, it was kind of exciting to have a new language to learn. So but I didn't speak. I didn't really speak any. I could read and write a bit from that intro class. But my day one, I remember getting on a train in Frankfurt and trying to make my way to Freiburg. And I was like, wow, I was the top of my class in my German class. I knew it was an intro, but like, I was like, oh, that probably means I can understand other people, even if I'm too nervous to speak. And I couldn't understand a word that the conductor was saying. And I was like, wow, okay, I have a long way to go just because, you know, probably the accents were different and I wasn't used to that. So I definitely learned German in Germany. You said you worked at the Helmholtz Center and you said that that was pretty much your first job. Did you just go on the website and then look for open positions? How did you find out about that? So I, I emailed, yeah, so very much my story often is dumb luck. So <laughs> I just kind of research things and people and find people that are interesting and often just email them randomly. So I was very interested in obesity politics. Funnily enough, here I am finishing my PhD in the same thing. Even though my trajectory changed when I got to Munich and I didn't focus on obesity specifically, it is what I applied to do. And so there was a researcher at the Helmholtz Zentrum that did work on this. And I was very interested in like East-West differences in different health outcomes. And I had a whole plan of what I was going to do there. And he had written about this and had a data set. And so I just reached out to him. And I happened to be that he was the head of this Environmental Epidemiology Research Institute. So my trajectory kind of changed to be more related to the environment, which was my other interest, but not what I originally applied to do. But he was very interested in what I had proposed. So I just kind of emailed him. I found him, honestly, on a scientific paper And I just found his email on that paper and I emailed him and he was like, oh, wow, well, you know, DAD sounds great. I mean, I know they're competitive, but if you get it, I would be happy to be your sponsor here. And so that was the beginning of a very long friendship. Also, he's someone who's become a mentor to me, who I still every time I go to Munich, we always get dinner together. That's a good encouragement, too, for anyone who says, oh, I, I would like to go to Germany, but I don't know anyone. You're a great example for reading a paper, finding out about a person, and then just getting in touch with that person. It definitely works. I've done it often. I would say, of course, I've had people ask me, like, how did you do this or how do you approach people? And I was like, do everything you have. So if you have an advisor or you have someone you know or you have a contact there, use that as well. But don't hesitate to also reach out to people. You worked at both Helmholtz Center in Munich and also the Max Planck Institute. Could you talk a little bit more about the different centers and what they stand for and maybe also how they differ? Both of them are kind of two of the main research centers or hubs of research in Germany. And they both, Max Planck and Helmholtz, have multiple centers all over Germany. Max Planck maybe is more well-known, especially to Americans. There are a lot more in, in a city like, like Heidelberg has a lot. I mean, they're also known a lot for their scientific research centers, but this was, they also have others. So I didn't know of the Munich one actually when I applied. So I only applied with Helmholtz as my sponsor. But when I got there, 
DAD was very flexible when I said, look, I'm, I'm a political scientist, but also a microbiologist found this other organization in Munich, and I could kind of work with both of them to do both projects that I am interested in. Now, I, now that I'm into the environmental unit, but I'm also still interested in my original project. And they were very open, and the Max Planck Institute, like, I applied to work with them, and they were very gracious and gave me a space to work and resources and a place to present my research. And and so I would say, like, they're two of the kind of big names in the research field. Helmholtz is very natural science focused. So the, all of their research centers are based in the hard sciences. But Max Planck is kind of, it ranges. So they do have a lot of natural science programs, but they also have institutes that are for the social sciences for law. Mine was social policy and social law. So there was a mix there. And honestly, they're great resources, both of them. And they often also do everything in English or do a lot in English. In my case, everything. Colleagues and I would always communicate in English. And then obviously, if you want to speak in German, you can. There was always that option. I actually learned a lot of German from my colleagues because they were all German except for me. And so they became the people that I would often speak to when I wanted to in German. They were like the first people that really got me to speak in German because that was for me the hardest thing. I think it's just a great community to be, to be a part of. And, you know, 10 years later, I'm doing my research on my PhD and I still use those resources and I still have those colleagues and friends from the institutes in Germany. So I'd say if anyone's looking for where to go, there are, of course, universities, but there are these research centers that are very particular, I think, to Germany. In the U.S., we don't have them as much. They're huge resources in Germany. You work in the natural sciences and, and also social sciences, so it's very interdisciplinary and maybe not as intuitive. I assume not a lot of people actually do research with both of the natural sciences and social sciences. How was the response to that and how was your research experience in Germany in trying to do research in both fields and combining them? Everyone was just very curious. It's it's honestly not that common in the U.S. I think over time, it's been, of course, 10 years since I did my dual bachelor's. So I see more and more programs trying to be more interdisciplinary, like Georgetown, where I'm at now, has this kind of program for engineers to also be more engaged in international relations, which I love that they're doing it, but it's pretty new. But they were always like, oh, wow, you know what? This makes sense. We need more scientists who understand the policy world. We need more, we need more policy-oriented people who understand the hard sciences. And so I kind of was encouraged on both sides. And, you know, even though my proposal was more public health, public policy for the DAAD, my advisor, I remember once said he, we had this kind of exit interview when I was done. And, you know, he was like, look, I, I normally don't always tell people why I decided to keep them or not. But he's like, I, I really love the fact that you were a microbiologist, like you were trained in the sciences, like the hard sciences, the natural sciences in you. You know, you know, all these things, even though your project was more on the policy or public health side. And so that's what really drew me to you is that you had this, which, you know, I didn't know the whole year I was there. He just kind of mentioned it at the end because I guess he wanted to let me know that he was encouraging of that. And he's always been supportive. Like I, I did a master's after in public policy. He wrote one of my letters for that program. You know, we keep in touch now. I've gone back to him about my research multiple times, even though he himself is also trained as a statistician and works more on the sciences side of things. You know, we always talk about my more policy oriented research now. So I've always found people to be very encouraging, um, even, sometimes more curious because, you know, I guess in Germany, they're like, we've never seen someone do that. That's not something that's really done in Germany. And it's often not in the U.S. But I think increasingly there are, and, and I really am appreciative to my, my alma mater, I'm really appreciative to UMass Amherst that they were like, this is weird, but go for it. You know, like if you want to do that, you can do that. And I do really appreciate that they did encourage me. 
the first time you went to Germany was actually to work at the Helmholtz Center. So what expectations did you have? Yeah, I have to think back now because it's funny because it's just it came full circle in a way that I first moved there at the end of 2009 and then I lived there again through up until the beginning of this year, almost 10 years later. So it's interesting how my expectations changed each time depending on what I thought. So, you know, I thought I would have understood the language a little bit more in order to get around. So that was a little overwhelming. And I also just didn't realize how, you know, I mean, Germany is a very big country for Europe and I see that now and I can see all the differences. But when I first moved there, I mean, coming from the U.S., I'm like, well, we're huge. And so I didn't realize how many differences, languages, culture, trying to understand Bayerisch when I got to Munich versus like, you know, Schwabisch when I was more on the Western side. It was very different. I mean, I knew in theory that Germany is diverse, but I just thought, well, but it's also a small country. So they're probably more similar also. And, and, you know, it's not like that. It doesn't matter the size, really. It's more the history. And so that for me was really fascinating. You know, it wasn't so tied to my research in a way, but in terms of research, I had done a lot of research on what to expect and who to, to be with. And so that wasn't so surprising. But for me, it was more the culture because As you know, you know, I didn't grow up studying German or studying German even history. I mean, I knew enough about the history, of course, but it wasn't like I was a Germanist growing up or a Germanophile. I became one, but I became one living there, which is a bit unique because most people who move there, you know, like they are either of German origin or some relative was or they, you know, grew up speaking it in high school. And so they just love it already. And I was like that about French more. And so for me, I was like, wow, like this is a whole new world. And so I just kind of felt like a pioneer the whole time I was there. I was like, everything is new. I kind of came in with very few expectations and then just was surprised, pleasantly surprised by how interesting everything was. Like, you know, obviously I've become a Germanophile in the in the process. Is there anything about Germany that you really grew to love and now miss? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are particular weird food things that I love. <laughs> like Kreutzerzads. Mm-hmm. I really miss that. And people are just like, why? Like, so I feel like some even Germans are like, I don't even use that. I'm like, how do you not? It's amazing. It's like herbal salt. Like it's regular salt, but then they, there's so many types in Germany. I kind of like the regular one. It just has like herbs in it, but it's like perfect on salad. It's perfect. You know, if you just roast some vegetables, like, I don't know how people have lived without this. I don't know how I've lived without this. <laughs> the most random thing but I'm like oh how, why don't why don't we have this here I literally ask people when they come to bring it for me they're like oh like what do you want most people want chocolate or something which is also great so I'd recommend that and then they're like so I'm a vegetarian so there are a lot of things that I cannot eat but then there are a lot of things that I can so there are so many pastries and like uh, German bakeries somehow don't seem to be as well known as like the French or whatever but they're amazing like the bread is amazing I used to actually put in requests for bread before there's just so many especially on Christmas there are so many types of cookies and uh, you know Lebkuchen and like all these things that people have I mean it's just like it's so rich in terms of their food that's usually what I miss too but you know I really just miss things like public transport like I just you know I did field work for my dissertation in four different lender and I you know I was in a foreign country I hadn't been to a lot of those places. I had been to maybe half of them before and I could just kind of plop in, you know, by train, end up at any Hauptbahnhof and just figure out by S-Bahn or U-Bahn in any city how to get around. And then, you know, I did the same thing here where I was going to four states. And honestly, I was in so much more culture shock in my own country going to the four places I went because I ended up in the Midwest. I ended up in uh, Texas in the South here. And those are places that I, you know, some of them I had been to before, but all of a sudden, like, I couldn't get around unless I had a car. And I, I couldn't, you know, and I thought I could bike in a place like Austin. It's supposed to be trendy. But 
I felt like I was not as confused in the German cities that I was in. And, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with how structured they are about their public transport. And I mean, each city, of course, in Germany is very unique and different. And, you know, I was in like Dusseldorf and I was in Leipzig and I was in Dresden and I was in Potsdam and Munich. And, you know, those are my main, but I, there were others. But And they're all very unique. And I loved the fact that I had an excuse for work to to experience them all. But there was some regularity in getting around that, you know, and in some sense of that, that I could manage. You mentioned a few cities now. Uh, I'm curious, do you have city or places that you fell in love with or that you really like that are not the stereotypical cities such as Munich or Berlin that everyone knows? There are a lot of cities that I've come to love, I, I have to say. So I've lived in Munich and Berlin, and as you know, those tend to be more of the stereotypical cities that people know of, and I encourage everyone to go there as well. But, I mean, so when I was on the DAD, the nice thing about it was that there were, uh, so many of us came from somewhere else, and we all moved to Germany, and then we studied, you know, together in Freiburg. So I have, that's my first ever German city. So in a way, there's a special place in my heart for Freiburg, because that was the first place I ever lived in Germany. But we were there for two months, and so I'd say, you know, Freiburg is like, very close to the French border. I mean, you climb high enough on some of the hills or, or uh, mountains nearby and you can see France in the distance and so beautiful. It has such a rich history that I loved to kind of get to know when I was out there. But then because all of us spread out into different places, I actually had the chance to visit them all. We were all very close, still are. Some of them still live in Germany, actually. And so, you know, I visited one in Kassel. Kassel is really interesting. It's if anyone's like a a fan of like the Grimm's fairy tales. Uh, there's a museum there. You should totally check it out. And then, you know, sometimes you'd get bored of going to each other's cities. So we'd go to another city together. So we went to Bonn together, which, you know, used to be the hub and the capital of Germany before Berlin became. And so there's a lot of history there, but also a lot of, for anyone who's a musician or is interested in music, uh, there's a lot of history there as well. Hamburg is like the port city, it kind of reminds me a lot of Massachusetts out of home because I'm from there because it's very oriented around the seaports. I mean, I grew up by the water. So, you know, Hamburg was its own beautiful place for me. But funnily enough, there are so many others that are just you would never have heard of. I feel like those are probably still cities people might have heard of. My dad actually randomly is some of his favorite scientists. He's a scientist. Some of his favorite chemists are German. And so at some point, I convinced him to come on this trip that I made up for him to like some of his favorite cities or what would have been his favorite cities based on basically who was a professor of chemistry there that he loves. And so, you know, we went to Leipzig because if anyone knows of Heidelberg and his uncertainty principle, that's where Heidelberg was a professor and often discovered a lot of the things that he did. And so we went to Leipzig, but we like wanted to go to the university. Most people go to Leipzig because it's supposed to be like a trendy version like Berlin or East German city that's different. But we went there for Heisenberg, which was very random. And we were like wandering around trying to find all these things that he had done there. And people were just like, yeah, we don't know about that. But, you know, welcome to Leipzig. <laughs> but, you know, we went there for the quantum mechanics history. And, and then we went to Heidelberg, which I think is a beautiful city and one that has been very well preserve the castle's beautiful the, the the city itself is beautiful but we went there because bunsen if anyone knows of bunsen burners from their mm -hmm. chemistry class bunsen was a professor there and so we wanted to find his statue and 
We did find it. You know, the funny thing is, nobody was paying attention to the statue. Some, like our third day there, we finally found it, almost as we were giving up. Because it's not like something that people often put in guides or anything. So we were just looking for it. And then we started taking all these photos. We kind of wiped off some like dust or whatever that had been on it. And nobody was paying attention. By the time we left, a bunch of people were taking photos with it. (laughs) So we brought back some infamy for him, I guess. And then Weinsberg is probably a place that, I mean, honestly, I didn't even know of until my dad, my dad's tour that I was creating. But he studies botulinum toxins. So if anyone's interested in food poisoning or toxins in general, biochemistry, the guy who discovered this was kind of a physician, but also a medical writer, a poet even, lots of things. And he's from Weinsberg. And so we went out to his house, which has now been preserved and is a museum to his research and just him as a person. And... You know, there's this one cute old man who maintains the whole thing. And I mean, he was just so surprised when two Americans had like picked up a car rental and showed up in the middle of nowhere, Germany. But, you know, if you're really interested in, in toxins, this was a beautiful thing to kind of see, like to see how, how this man kind of discovered all these things. And so I would highly recommend Weinsberg. It's also beautiful in general. But so, yeah, I, I, it's hard to say I have a favorite, but what I would say is when in doubt, just Pick a point on the map and go. I mean, there's so many places. I'm always pleasantly surprised. I mean, I didn't think German beaches existed. Or, I mean, I must have known in my mind because there is a border with water. But never did I ever think I'd end up at a beach in Germany. It wasn't really something I thought I would do. And part of a soccer team in Berlin. And we ended up at a beach near Rostock in the north. And I was like, wow, I could be anywhere right now that is a beach. How would you know the difference? I'm so surprised. And it was beautiful. So I can't say I have a favorite. But I would. what I would say is... You almost can't go wrong no matter where you end up. There's always something beautiful. That should be a tagline somewhere (laughs) for for marketing Germany. Yeah. You mentioned diversity and that that Germany really, even though it's a comparatively, especially to the United States, fairly small country, that there is a lot of diversity in the cities, the states, and then, of course, language, food-wise, how diverse did you feel like Germany is at this point, especially uh, when it comes to people from different backgrounds? And how was your experience with that? It's interesting. And I, I guess I have the kind of interesting perspective of having been there 10 years ago and then having been there again. Granted, I lived in a different part of Germany, but having lived in Germany again 10 years later. And so I've seen so much of it grow. I mean, I think There has always been diversity. I mean, something that people don't always think of is, and I guess the German government officially didn't think of themselves as an immigrant country, but they've always been in a way. They've always had people coming in from all around, at least the kind of German borders. There have been people coming in and out. There's always been quite a bit of diversity. And of course, it's increasing even more. I mean, coming from the States, it's a different kind of diversity. And in a way, it felt like there was more here and and. You know, I I grew up in a part of the country in the Northeast where it also tends to be, you know, decently diverse. But I would say that one of the things that I feel like that is a burden, but also a privilege is to be kind of a cultural ambassador being on these exchange programs. So I was also on the Fulbright. So the second time I went, 2017 to 2019, I was on the Fulbright for a bit and then I stayed on a little longer for my research. And then the first time was the DAED and you are kind of like a cultural ambassador on these kinds of programs. And so, you know, you walk around and you're the American in the room often. Like, I'm often not around a lot of other Americans. I think on the Fulbright, I knew a bit, a few more, obviously, because we were all Americans. But especially on the DAD, it was, I don't, I knew like maybe one other American the whole time. And, you know, so people come to you. And so it was nice to see that 
on the one hand, people were just like, oh, wow, like, tell me about this. Maybe they'll talk to you about their stereotypes of your country. Maybe you talk to them about stereotypes of their country. And you kind of get to know how different and actually diverse each country is. I mean, often people look at me and be like, but you don't look American, you know, and I, and I used to get upset about that. And then what I learned over time is that, first of all, it doesn't happen as much now as it used to 10 years ago. But also people are just curious. Like, so they're like, oh, wow. So like they'll learn from you. That's kind of your job as a cultural ambassador is to be like, well, this is also American. I'm also American. And then also to see Germany change. It's been really interesting to see how much of Germany itself has changed. And diversity is just something that is increasing everywhere and, and something that I've seen so much in Germany itself. Obviously, Berlin is a very different environment than Munich as well. So I, but you know, like I, because I also researched in Munich, I, it's so interesting to see what I feel like is my city changed so much over that time period. So I feel like it was something that I, I actually enjoyed engaging with everyone about because, you know, we could reflect on a lot of stereotypes and a lot of things that aren't necessarily true. And it's, it's like a great way to be that person, to be a culture ambassador. Yeah, it sounds like you really encounter the typical German that don't know you very well, but then ask you really probing questions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I got plenty of questions. And, you know, what What I or what I noticed, though, is, you know, having lived, because I also lived for a while in the UK, it's a different culture there. I actually prefer the blunt questions, you know, because it's like, I think it's just genuine curiosity with Germans, right? They're just, they're just like, wow, like, um, why don't you tell me about yourself? It's kind of one of those, if that's like the, that's what the, the reason is for it, which, you know, which is kind of nice because I feel like it feels like a more genuine conversation. I mean, I think it can be a little startling sometimes if it's not what you're used to, but especially compared to the UK, what I noticed was that When I first moved to Germany, I was like, oh, wow, like Germans ask a lot of interesting, like, but sometimes deep questions, probably sooner than I would as an American. What would you like Americans to know about Germany that's maybe not as well known or not what you don't see in the media, for example? I feel like we're already moving in the right direction. So like when I first moved to Germany, you know, like Americans, their stereotypes tend to be like Oktoberfest, you know, which is not a horrible stereotype, but it's not obviously one part of Germany and it's one event once a year. There's so much more. Or, you know, like growing up as a kid, when you study history, you only really study one part of history with most of the world. And that is, you know, the world wars. And so that's all you remember. I feel like you miss older history for Germany and you miss more modern history for a lot of other regions that kind of are focused on East. And so in this case, since we're talking about Germany, what I found is that there's just so much going on. This is a very old country. This is the country that had like the first welfare state system in the world. How are we not studying that? I mean, granted, I'm biased. This is what I research, but You know, this is amazing that the first one to be established was in Germany. Think about what kind of structure this state had to create that and what vision Bismarck had to create that. I think that's fascinating. And then, of course, like, you know, Germany itself is so different now, you know, and, and modern history is so fascinating. I mean, granted, okay, I think now people think of Germany as being trendy and Berlin has become a place where you're like, oh, Berlin, that's really trendy. Like, I feel like Americans, that's a stereotype that they have. That wasn't the case 10 years ago. So I guess, you know, at least we're starting to emerge as being, you know, a hub for art and being a hub for all these things again. But, you know, the thing is, there were so many classical artists, you know, even in terms of music that have, were in Germany in the 1800s and even before and after. And so I just feel like there's so much. I mean, it's like, It's hard for me to pinpoint one thing, but I just I feel like people need to really step away from 
Oktoberfest, even though, you know, Oktoberfest is great and, and just like the few bits of history that you're kind of taught in school, there's so many dimensions to this place, you know, and there's so many on so many different levels, like on art, on history and music, on welfare state and health systems, of course, which I think is fascinating. I mean, and, and also for in terms of environmental policy, I feel like Germany really is on the forefront of a lot of those things. And there are innovations there that that you see in Germany, they're just fascinating. I mean, especially, I guess, living in Freiburg, that's a hub for that research. But I, I think the thing that I try to emphasize the most is that this is a very, very old and very multidimensional place. Is there something that you grow to like that's maybe, even though Berlin and Munich are very popular, that there is something that you really fell in love with that are not as highlighted? I mean, I could probably say that for both. I mean, for Munich... So I moved to Berlin after I lived in Munich. And so it took me some time to adjust to it. Even though I loved Berlin, I was like, oh, but I was so used to being near the mountains, you know. And, you know, Berlin is very grungy. And if you've been living in Munich for a while, it feels like you're in a different world a little bit. So I would say for Munich, what I loved was just the Alps are right there, you know. Like, I'm a snowboarder. It was amazing. Like, the best snowboarding I've ever done was, like, a bus ride away in Austria or Bavarian Alps or, you know, everything is so close to you. And it's beautiful. And, and, you know, my favorite hike is like the, a bunch of hikes you can do around like Schlierzee and Tegernsee. And that's like a, maybe a half hour, 45 minute train ride, uh, depending on where you are from the city center. And it's just so magical that you can be in the city and then you can be completely away in the mountains. Oktoberfest is great and there are things about Munich that are great, but I just love the surroundings. I always try to tell people, like, remember that there's so much around you. The lakes nearby are beautiful. The, the mountains nearby are just, there's nothing comparable to it. And then in the case of Berlin, I think what I just love the most is I am kind of like an artist. I'm a cartoonist on the side. I, you know, did a lot of art history in college. And aside from that, I have these projects. And so for me, what I really love about Berlin is that this multidimensionality that I mentioned about Germans in general, but, you know, also just you can really see that in Berlin specifically is the architecture. It's just, you know, you'll find something from, you know, the 1800s or way earlier and you walk like a block later and it's something that was from the 1920s. And then you walk another block or take a turn and then all of a sudden it's something from now. And I just feel like you can see so much of a country's history in that one city, just walking like not even that far. It's just amazing how you can be on one street and just walk for maybe a 15 minute break in between work or for lunch or something. And there's so much of the history of the city goes by you. And I've never really seen a city quite like it. And I mean, obviously it has to do with the history and, and how it's kind of come up and down over time. But it's just fascinating to me how much of it from each phase has been preserved and then more new things have emerged around it. And I think that was, for me, it's just so fascinating to just walk around Berlin. I just feel like there's so much for you to take in, whether it's just visually or whether you want to think about the history behind it even more. I mean, that's the one thing about Berlin that I just love and I find it to be really unique. Speaking of Berlin, I have to ask you, when you Google your name, one of the first things that come up is your TEDx oh, right. <laughs> talk in Berlin. Would you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I did give a, a TEDx talk in Berlin, which was really fun. Of all places to do it, it was a great audience. I've developed this sequence. It's pretty short. It's like a 10-minute sequence for yoga. So I'm a, I'm a Ashtanga yoga instructor. I have been for years. For me, it's it's a very personal thing because I left the natural sciences and I thought I might become a healthcare provider. And so my way of kind of staying tied to that past of mine, but also applying my health policy work is to be a yoga instructor. It's my way of kind of tying my two worlds. 
And so it's very, it's something that I've loved doing. It's something I continued to do while I was living in Berlin in between my kind of doctorate work in D.C. And I was asked to, I think I was giving a presentation where I, I basically, I never tell my audience, I guess now if anyone hears this, they'll know, but I didn't tell my audience what I was going to do. And then I basically, I guess, tricked them into doing yoga with me in whatever they're wearing. And I, on purpose, did it in a pencil skirt and heels to be like, you could do this anywhere. You could be at a conference. Like you can stretch, you can yoga's for everyone. I just take everyone through this sequence just to show that, you know, it's, it's not for any particular kind of person. Like it's just something that's good for everyone if they want to do it. And I loved it, you know, to be able to do it in Berlin, a city that I, you know, has meant so much to me and is such a core part of my research, which is also tied to why I do what I do. It was a great experience. So I, yeah, I'd have to say it was, it was great. So we uh, initially, I, I said, oh, it's just going to be half an hour. And here yeah. we are almost an hour later. So uh, thank you for your time. This is a podcast that I call Coffee Connections. I'm yeah. curious. I actually did have a cup of coffee while we chatted, but we are at different places. And thanks to Skype, we're able to chat a little bit. But if we had met in a German cafe, what would you have ordered in terms of the drink, I feel like I'm a little bit of a letdown for Americans and Germans because they both love coffee, as I remember from my German class where I learned all about it. But <laughs> I am not a huge coffee drinker, so I love matcha, which is a kind of green tea. It's very kind of Berlin-esque type drink, I guess. I fit right in there when I would drink it. And so, yeah, if it was up to me, I'd, I'd be all about the matcha latte. And then in terms of food, my gosh, there's so many things. I honestly just love any apple pastry. And there's just so many in Germany. But like, I would go for the apple one. I would say, I mean, maybe this is also like the, the kind of Munich resident in me, but they're just known for like their apple strudel. So if there was apple strudel, that would be my thing. I, yeah. uh, I will probably take the same. If someone would want to get in touch with you, what is the best address to use for that? If you want to get in touch with me, my email is my first name, R-E-N-U dot Singh, my last name, S-I-N-G-H dot 87 at gmail.com. Yeah, and I'd be happy to if anyone has questions on studying abroad in Germany as a student, working there, doing research on it, or just, you know, anything, I guess, that we've talked about. Yoga, I guess, we talked about that too. I'd be more than happy to. You heard the fourth episode of Coffee Connections today with Renu Singh, PhD student in government and one of DAD's dedicated research ambassadors in the United States. All content is created and edited by me, Hani Geist. If you would like to get in touch, send an email to podcast at dad.org. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you at the next coffee break.